um, emphasize the fellowship um, fellowship day um, on the 17th of March, right? 17th of March. Let me also um, encourage you all to, to be there. Make sure that you are there, that we are there as a church family to get to know one another and um, uh, in a different setting, um, in a more relaxed setting where we get to know one another and hear um, um, what's happening in each other's lives. So that is going to be very helpful. It's a, it's a bring and share, right? It's a bring and share. So let me, let me emphasize this as well. It's a bring and share. A bring and share means that you bring and you share. You don't come with your things and then you eat your things, right? You share them with others. And then again, let me also press this point that there are some that um, sometimes cannot bring and share. Um, don't feel like you need to stay at home. Um, don't feel like you need to stay at home. Make sure that you come. This is a church family. We don't bring and, and come with our own things and eat our own things there. We bring and share to show that it's a family, right? It's a family, and we are together. We are united in the Lord. So let us make sure that nothing keeps us away. Even if you're not um, able to, to, to bring and share, make sure that you are there. You are connecting with believers on a level that you um, they can come to know you and know how to pray for you and encourage you as well. Um, you don't know maybe there's a need in your life. We, we, we might not know. We are not prophets. So you need to, to be there as well so that we can encourage one another and grow together as a church in unity. Amen? Anyways, we're going through Philippians. Once again, we're going through Philippians chapter 2. And here we are now in verses 12 and 13. And uh, we going to look at the topic of working out our salvation, working out our salvation, Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 to 13. I'm going to read from the ESV, and uh, this is God's word. Let us hear him. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Let us pray. Father, this is your word. And as we come to you, we pray that you may give us hearts that seek to hear from you, hearts that desire to learn what you have to say to us today. Pray that you speak to our lives, O oh Lord. Open our minds and gives us, give us understanding. Open our hearts and give us receptive hearts, O oh Lord. And give us a will, O oh God, that is conformed to your will. May you work in our lives and lead us in your ways and direct us, O oh God, even as we hear your word today that your word will be um, something that helps us as a church to grow together in unity, to grow in looking to you and your light shining upon us today. In the precious name of Jesus Christ, we pray all this. Amen. When, when you're looking at Christ's example, or um, when, when you're looking at Christ's example, it rightly leads you to consider your own life. You... You consider your own life. It's, it's an exercise that zooms into the heart 
to expose all that is hidden and, and harbored. Now, Paul knew this point very well. And so, he addressed, when he addressed the factions and, and conflicts in this church, in the church of the Philippians, he immediately drew their attention to the example of Jesus Christ. He, he holds up the picture of the humility of Jesus, who had every right to demand his rights because he was God himself. But instead of that, he emptied himself. He, he chose willingly to stoop down and abandon the comforts of heaven, to walk the streets of men. He replaced his glorious robes with, with the rags of a poor man, a, a man who, unlike the fox and, and the birds, had no place to lay his head. He, he left the continuous praise of, of angels in glory to be reviled and cursed by men. Instead of demanding to be served, he became a servant. But most importantly, in the greatest display of humility, he chose to die on the cross. And we must not be under the delusion that all these things happened because Jesus was banished out of heaven. He, he, he was not by some strange providence out of favor with the Father. And people usually think when, when, when they saw Jesus on the cross, they thought God had forsaken him. They, they thought he was forsaken by God. And this is not the case. Because on two occasions in the Bible... We see the father saying about him, This is my son in whom I am well pleased. All these, these things that Jesus did, he did on behalf of. He did them on behalf of. He was thinking about the welfare and the good of God's elect. He, he didn't have to come down from heaven and, and take on flesh. He didn't have to die on behalf of sinners on a Roman cross. There was nothing compelling him, nothing forcing him. It was entirely out of his own choosing. It was him choosing on his own to do this. And so, when a self-seeking, pride-driven Christian considers this example of Christ and by extension what he has achieved for him, it cuts with conviction and leads to a, to a humble seeking after grace before God. When we, when we see the humility of Christ and, and we continue to be pride-driven and we look at the example of Christ, it, 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 it convicts us. And Paul after holding up this picture of Christ, of the humility of Christ, moves on from this to now um, to, to exhort Christian practice in these believers. After showing them the humility of, of Christ in humbling himself. And we see this clearly in the, in the, in the use of a, of a term of conclusion in verse 12 when he says, Therefore, this conjunction that he uses should cause us to pause and, and, and to think deeply. 
and, and based on what we what we heard about Christ, based on, on, on what Paul has been saying about Christ, the question that must come to mind is so what? So so what? And in verses twelve and verse thirteen, Paul offers or provides the so what answer. This is the so what of, 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 of verses uh, 5 to 11. Paul provides it here. The, the key, the, the, the point or the dominant idea of this passage of verses 12 to 13 is the exhortation found in the words, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That is the whole key of the passage. That is the whole point. And, and, and the question then, when we, when we come to that conclusion to say this is the key or this is the point of the passage, must be what does he mean by work out your salvation? What does he have in mind when he says those words? And allow me to, to give you a few points um, in considering what he means here. First, Paul is not saying that salvation is by works. That is not what he's saying. He is not saying work for, he says work out, right? That's what he says, right? He doesn't say work for your salvation, he says work out your salvation, which is a clear indication that they already had a salvation. And again, he uses the term in verses 12, uh, he says, my beloved. And it, this indicates that he is speaking to people that are already saved. Secondly, Paul is not saying that their salvation is incomplete in the, in the sense of the Judaizers who said that to complete one's salvation, one needed to, to be circumcised, to be, to, to, needed circumcision in order for them to be fully saved. That is not the idea that Paul had in mind. The idea that Paul had in mind is that of continually growing in the faith. Paul is calling them to grow in the faith. The word that the, the theologians usually use um, when they refer to this point is the word progressive sanctification. Paul is calling them to progressively grow in the faith. It, it is a call to grow more fruitful in the Christian walk. And this involves hard work that is empowered by God uh, to help carry it out. So he's calling them to, to grow in their salvation, which involves working hard by the help of, of God's spirit. <coughs> Our neighbor has a, has a beautiful garden. We have a neighbor that has a really beautiful garden. And, and the first thing when our visitors visit us, uh, when they are sitting on the balcony, the first thing they see is the garden. The, the, the lawn always looks like there is a golf championship that is about to be played in a few hours. The, the flowers dance with color, clothed by God himself. And, and without even thinking hard, the word that comes to mind usually when our, our visitors are looking down at the garden is the word, what a beautiful garden. What a beautiful garden. But behind that beauty 
is the hard work that is put into cultivating the garden. Removing the weeds that can affect it. And, and faithfully watering it. The, the garden does not become beautiful by itself. There has to be hard work behind the beauty that we see and admire. That is Paul's idea. He's saying work out the garden of your faith until it shows the beauty. Work out the garden of your faith as God gives you strength. So logically, the question that must follow after answering the what question is the how question. How do I work out my salvation? How do I go about working out my salvation? And here in this passage, we see four ways how to work out your salvation. Four ways how to work out our salvation. <coughs> Consistently, one. Sincerely, two. Humbly, three. And with dependence upon God, four. Let us start with the first point. The first way how to work out your salvation is that you work out your salvation consistently. Consistently. Look at verse 12a. This is what he says. He says, Therefore, my, my, beloved, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, listen to these words, as you have always obeyed, so now, as you have always obeyed. Paul has seen them live out their Christian lives and, and, and they have been characterized by, by obedience. In, in chapter 1, he testifies about them with joy, saying that because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. So Paul saw their obedience. He saw Lydia opening a house to him and, and, and his traveling companions after she received Christ and, and again opening her house for the church to gather together. He saw again the, 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 the slave girl who, who, who was a necromancer in a way, who was a, who, who was a witch doctor who came to Christ. He saw her moving from worshipping the devil to worshipping God. He saw her obedience. Again, he saw the, the obedience of the Philippian jailer. His swift obedience to the gospel as well as he welcomed Paul and washed their wounds. And probably not only those testimonies, probably many other undocumented stories of obedience to God from the Philippian Christians. Paul saw these things and, and, and he testifies in these words. He says, you have always obeyed. You have always obeyed. The, the, the Greek word here, obeyed, translates the word to heed or, or to open, to answer the door. In other words, Paul is saying to them, when the gospel of Jesus Christ was preached to you, you took heed. You, you answered the door to the gospel. You obeyed the voice of God. They, they, they heard the gospel declaring that Christ accomplished uh, all these things on their behalf. That he gave his life as a ransom for, for their redemption that he bore the full wrath of God on their behalf. They had the call to repentance and holiness. They, they turned from their sin and by grace started to walk in the ways of God. 
Paul saw them obeying. And, and I put it to you that this must be the posture of every Christian. This must mark every Christian. Jesus says about his sheep in John chapter 10, verses 27. He says, my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. In John chapter 14, verse 15, Jesus says to his disciples, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And repeating the same idea in verses 23, he says, if you love me, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. There's no way around it. There is no way around it. Obedience to God is demonstrated by obeying his word. It's demonstrated by listening to his word, by submitting to the word of God. Obeying the word. And Paul says to them, you have always obeyed. He, he says to these Christians, and by extension, he says to you and me. He says, you have always obeyed, so now. In other words, be consistent in your obedience to God. Continuing doing what you were doing. Paul is saying, this is not a, a, a thing of the past. When, when it comes to your Christianity, yes, we look at the past. We look at what Christ has done to us in the past, but we also look at what Christ is doing for us in the present. So some people say, I came to Christ two years ago or, or five years ago, but when you look at their lives in that moment, as they continue on, you don't see them working out their salvation. You don't see them growing in sanctification. They are still guarding their hope on the fact that one day they raised their hand and that's it. But they are still living in sin and a pastor said, today you are saved and they listen to that. But there's no progressive sanctification in their lives. There's no continued growth in the, in the things of the Lord. And Paul is saying, be consistent in working out your salvation. And not only does he say, uh, work out your salvation consistently. He says to them, the second way to, to work out your salvation is to work it out sincerely. Work you out your salvation sincerely. Look at again verse 12, B this time. He says, as you have always obeyed, so now, listen to this part, not only in my, in my presence, but much more in my absence. Not only in my presence, but much more in my, in my absence. Paul knew that it was very easy for them to work out their salvation when, they, when he was around. Right? When he was looking at them. When he observed their lives. Which is the case almost most of the time. With, with, with other Christians. They, they seem to be doing well when the pastor is around. Right? They, they, they seem to be living a Christian life only when the pastor is around or when, when respected Christians are around. But when the pastor is not around, they live a life that is contrary to the gospel. And, and Paul pushes this point and emphasizes this point and says, yes, I've seen you. I've seen you working out your salvation when I was present. But not only that, do it when I am absent. That means you must be sincere. He calls them now to keep doing that even when he is not around. 
where he is not there to, to see them and applaud them. He is calling them to work out their salvation in sincerity. What an interesting word sincerity is. The, the, the word sincere is a very interesting word. It is made up of two Latin words. It is made up of the word sine, which means uh, without, and the word sere, which means wax. In the past, when a sculptor made a statue, he would sign the bottom of the statue and add the phrase sincere or sine sere, meaning that this statue is without works. In doing so, he was guaranteeing that the work that he did on the sculpture had no mistakes that had been covered over with works to disguise them. They were sincere statues. They were sincere works of art. They had nothing that was hidden in them. It is the same as living a Christian life. It is meant to be a life that does not cover up character weaknesses and mistakes, but instead a life of sincerity. So Paul is calling them to live a life without works, a life without hidden agendas, a life in Christ, a life that is sincere. So Paul calls these Christians, and by extension, you and I, is calling us to live a life before Christ that is transparent. To work out their salvation, well, even when he is not around, to see them, when no one is there to observe them. They were to continue in their fight against sin, in their pursuit of godliness, in their love for the things of God. In other words, if I'm a husband and I love my wife before uh, uh, people, when people see me loving my wife, when I'm with her and people are not watching, I must continue to love her. If I am a, I'm a wife and I'm submitting to my husband before people and they are watching me and are saying, wow, and people are looking at that, even when people are not around to, to watch it, I must continue submitting to my husband. In other words, as a Christian, you live a morally upright life in public. When people are watching, you live a morally upright life when no one is there. When no one is there to tell you that is wrong, your conscience is already telling you, informed by the word of God. Paul is telling these people, continue to do that. Even when I'm not around. Even when I'm absent. And let me, let me submit this to you today. That to only live as a Christian when people are watching is the same as a stage performer who will not perform unless there's an audience to applaud him. It is the same, and that is not a Christian life. That is a life of hypocrisy. So Paul is calling them, not, instead of living in hypocrisy, to live in sincerity. He's calling them to live in sincerity. W.E. Vines explains that, and he says, he says this, he says, their fulfillment of this exhortation, work out your salvation, was not dependent on Paul being with them. On the contrary, there was a stronger reason for their carrying it out when he was absent, as they would, they would realize the more their dependence on Christ. 
the, the power of faith that depends upon the power of the unseen, but, but personally present Christ is sufficient for the accomplishment of his will. Let me explain it this way. Paul is, say, Paul is saying here, work out your salvation. And, 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 and what, what encourages them to work out their salvation is not because another Christian is looking at them. First of all, I think, as, 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 as W.E. Vice first of all says, it is, it is the fact that they are trusting in the, in, the, in, the, in the power of Christ. And I would say again, in the presence of Christ. I remember a song that we used to sing um, when we were in Sunday school, when we were young, it says, Be careful, little eyes, what you see. For the Father up above is looking down in love. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. Be careful, little feet, where you go. Oh, be careful, little feet, where you go. For the Father up above is looking down in love. So not because Paul was there, but because the Father up above is looking down in love. And so they continue working out their salvation in public and in secret. Right? Not only that, they are to work out their salvation First of all, they are to work out their salvation consistently, then sincerely, and thirdly, they are to work out their salvation humbly, with humility. Listen to what Paul is saying again in verse 12c. He says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, with fear and trembling. The, the, the posture of our hearts in working out our salvation must be, must be that of humility. Paul says with fear and trembling. In the Greek text, it's, it's, it's very interesting when you read it, the, the, the words fear and trembling come before the words um, work out. And this demonstrates uh, to us the attitude with which they were to fulfill this command. One author says that the idea behind this phrase is a passion to please the Lord. It involves, it involves humility and vigilance. So there must be a passion to please the Lord. He says with fear and trembling. In other words, it is as if Paul is saying to them, first have a proper heart and mind attitude and then carry out the action of working out your salvation thoroughly and to completion. And how we think about God will always influence how we act before him. That will always be true. We, we, we can never change that. Your ideas of God, how you think about God will always influence the way you think. The way you, you act. It will influence your actions. William Buckley explains the meaning of the words fear and trembling. And this is what he says. He says, this is not the fear and trembling of a slave cringing before a master. Nor the fear and trembling at the prospect of punishment. It, it comes from two things. It comes first from a sense of our own creatureliness and our own powerlessness to deal with, with life triumphantly. 
That is to say, it is not the fear and trembling which drive us to hide from God, but rather the fear and trembling which drives us to seek God. You see the difference? Again, he goes on to say, in certainty, that without his help, we cannot effectively face life. It comes second from the horror of grieving God. We don't want to grieve God. When we really love a person, we are not afraid what he may do to us. We are afraid what we may do to him. So fear and trembling, when we work out our, our salvation with fear and trembling, first it is a heart that is not running away from God, but because it is sensing its own weakness and powerlessness, it is running to God. And again, it is a heart that seeks to, to honor God rather than grieve God. At all times, you, you want to live a life in such a way that God is honored. You don't want to grieve God with the way you walk in your Christian walk. He says, work out your salvation with this humble attitude, with fear and trembling before God. And that is what God says, right? He says he's pleased with a trembling heart, a heart that trembles before his word. And we may, we may, we, we, we get this hope in the word of God when we work out our salvation with, with fear and trembling, especially in James chapter 4, verse 6. Where James, says, where James says, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to what? To the humble. God opposes those who, who think they can do it by themselves, who, who trust in their own strength, who trust in their own power, in their own works, and, and he opposes those people. It says, but he gives grace to the humble those who work out their salvation with fear and trembling. So Paul goes on to say we are to work out our salvation consistently. We are to work out our salvation sincerely, humbly, and lastly, we are to work out our salvation with dependence on God. With dependence on God Look at verse 13. He says, For it is God who works in you, <coughs> both to will and to work for his good pleasure. It is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. You see, if only Paul wrote verse 12 and left it there, it would leave us hopeless. It would leave us without hope. There is no way we can work out our own salvation by ourselves. There's no way we can do that. Jesus makes that point in John chapter 15 verse 5 when he says it clearly. He says, for apart from me, you can do nothing. So if verse 13 here was not there, we would be without hope. Verse 13 is the most important verse in this passage. It shines a light of uh, understanding in our minds. It gives us an understanding of this exhortation in verse 12. Paul says, For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. 
the truth communicated here is that God has not left us to ourselves. He's, he gives grace for what he commands. That's what uh, Augustine says in, 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 in his book, his famous book, The Confessions. He says, command what you will, Lord, and will what you command. So God gives the grace to, 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 for, for what he commands. And it is not worthy that in the Greek, God is placed first. And, 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 and this is to emphasize his vital role in the process. When you look at the sentence, it starts with ho theos. And it, it, it tells you the therefore, the, 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 the four that we see in, 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 in verses, uh, uh, verses 13, the gar, the, the four. So it says, ho theos gar. It, 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 it puts God first there. The reason it puts God first, it wants to emphasize his vital role in this process of sanctification. It is God alone. He is all we need. We, we tend to believe the illusion that we can do it by ourselves. But when, when Paul places God first here in such an emphatic position, Paul wants us to be mindful that we cannot carry out this supernatural work of living the Christian life without God's assistant. I mean, it's the Christian life, right? When you, when you look at that word, it's the Christ life, right? God alone is responsible for our justification, our initial coming to the faith. And God alone is responsible for enabling us to work out our salvation in sanctification. And this shows the beauty of God's grace, right? It shows the beauty of God's grace. There is nothing more humbling like the grace of God. Nothing that destroys pride and, and haughtiness than the reality that I am nothing and can do nothing except through the grace of God alone. The grace of God humbles us in our pride and haughtiness because it shows us that you cannot do anything by yourself. He says, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Here again, we have a wonderful relationship between the sovereignty of God and human responsibility. We see that, that wonderful relationship. In, in one sense, we are called to work out our own salvation. In another sense, it is only God who can enable us to do it. We, we must do our part, and, and God will do his part. Right? Although the, the, the part of forgiveness of sins and of the, of the new birth of redemption is, is, is just the work of God. It is only him. It is monogistic in its sense. It's, it's, it's only God doing that. We are simply to believe and enter in. And, and this is the part of sanctification, uh, 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 um, progressive sanctification in a sense in a sense, not in, in the ultimate sense, it is synergistic. Synergistic, it means that it is, it is God working and we are also working. Right? We are, not, we are not sitting around and saying, let go and let God. I hear people saying that I'm like, but that is not scriptural. It's a, it's a, the Christian life, growing in the Christian life is not a let go and let God kind of life. 
It's a work out your salvation kind of life, right? But when we work out our salvation, we must realize that we are working it in the strength that God provides. There's this relationship, this beautiful relationship between the sovereignty of God, the fact that he is in control, and the fact that he is leading everything, and, 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 and this side of human responsibility, the fact that I'm not lying around and saying God will work it out. It's, 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 a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a It's a working out with God. George Mueller says we are to work out what God has worked in. His grace, what, what, what he has worked in by his grace. And, and this idea of the sovereignty of God and, and human responsibility is attested elsewhere in the, in the scriptures. Consider 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 10, for example. Paul says, but by the grace of God I am what I am. And listen to, to, to this. He says, and his grace toward me did not prove vain, but I labored even more than all of them. I worked more than all of them. Yet he says this. He says, yet not I, but the grace of God with me. You see that? You see that relationship between God's sovereignty and human responsibility? Again, look at Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. And it is no longer I who lives, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and delivered himself up for me. He says, I no longer live, but he says, the life I now live, right? You, you, you can see that relationship. So Paul is calling them to work out their salvation, but to trust and depend upon God because it is God who strengthens them, who enables them, and who makes sure that they are continuing to work out their salvation. A life of a Christian is a life of dependence upon the Lord. That's a life of a Christian. That's how we define a life of a Christian. It's a life of dependence upon the Lord from first to last, right? We, we, when we look at salvation, we look at salvation in three aspects. Let me explain that before I, I conclude. We look at salvation in three aspects. First, we see justification. Justification is when God makes us right by faith in Christ Jesus, right? When God declares us to be not guilty, not because we are not sinners, but because we have believed in Jesus Christ by faith. What God declares us, that is justification, the initial uh, salvation. When we are saved, we are positionally saved. But there is this horizontal line, right? This is called progressive sanctification, where we are being saved, progressively being saved. And this is what Paul is talking about, working out our salvation, where we are growing, where we are repenting from sin daily. And then there is glorification. Glorification is when we will be without sin, when we are in heaven before God, when we see him face to face, when we have new bodies, bodies that have no sickness, bodies that have no pain, bodies that will not weep, where we are standing before him, that is glorification, the last aspect. So Paul is saying, work out your salvation. He's talking about sanctification. And I want you to remember the garden. Remember the garden. What I said about the garden, beautiful lawn, beautiful flowers, right? They did not come by themselves, right? 
the, the, of course, the lawn to be beautiful is made by God to be beautiful, right? God gives it its beauty. The flowers, according to the Bible, even the Bible says that in, in Matthew chapter 6, it's God who grows the flowers. But what, what must men do? He must cultivate the garden, right? He must cultivate the garden while God brings the growth. In the same way, we must cultivate our, our faith. We must work out our salvation. We must spend time in the scriptures. We must spend time in, 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 in prayer. We must spend time in fellowship. Those are things that we use in working out our salvation. And we must do that consistently. We must do that sincerely. We must do that humbly and with dependence upon the Lord. Amen. Our dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you. Thank you that you have spoken to our lives with your word and calling us to work out our salvation. We pray, Father, that you help us. Give us the strength that we need. For without you, we can do nothing. Enable us, O oh Lord. Strengthen us. Give us the grace. In the blessed name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.